1: Welcome to Bitches on Comics, I'm Sarah Sentry. I am going to travel to Sweden with a group of friends for a festival that occurs only once every 90 years, only to find myself in the clutches of a pagan cult.
2: And I'm Essie Flinor, and in the Pacific Northwest in 1983, I led a loving and peaceful existence. But when my pine-scented haven was savagely destroyed by a cult led by a sadistic monster named Jeremiah Sand. I was catapulted into a phantasmagoric journey filled with bloody vengeance and laced with deadly fire. <laughs> Today we have a question from self-described loyal listener Hayden. Hello listener Hayden, we love you. I recently read Black Widow volume 1, Shield's Most Wanted and was bored as hell. <laughs> i love honesty i love it this is the third time i have tried to get into black widow and i have no good reason for not liking her or her books i love action movies and comics spy stuff and redheads hey i appreciate the love but for some reason i can't put my finger on it the story just doesn't hit for me this is so frustrating are there any characters or stories that y'all know you should love but for some reason they just don't work for you what a great yes. question! <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sarah's like yes. The end. That's the recording. <laughs> I don't want to get
1: into this. I'm just gonna say that there's current X-Men stuff that doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. Sorry, everybody. I don't talk about it on Twitter because everybody's having such a good time. But there's things where I'm like, oh. <laughs> but don't we love want that, that so for you. Much. If you're
2: enjoying that, we want that for you.
1: Oh yeah, that's we how I that. feel about <laughs> all of it for the most part. I mean, geez. But yeah, no, there's definitely things where I'm just like, everybody liked this? Are you sure? I mean, I think that we both have that. Like, that's why The Last Man, I think, for both of us, where we were both like, everybody loves this, and I just cannot get into it. For, I mean, reasons that we could go into that are very valid, in my opinion, but... A lot of people can pick it up and be like, this is a fun, goofy, weird sci-fi story from its time. You know, I think it was like the early 2000s or something that it came out. I don't remember, but I didn't enjoy it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's always tricky for us because I think as critics, it's literally our job to figure out why we don't like something. So I don't like something, I just think about it a lot. Like a lot, a lot, a lot almost
1: more right yeah. like it's kind of harder <laughs> it's harder to think of something nice to say about something than it is to say something mean to say about it uh which is like, like the rock in my
2: shoe right like it's irritating me so much i just have to know what the fucking thing is and why it bothers me you know
1: yeah people don't always understand that i think about critics because it'll be something where it's like i'll write something that is negative i'll watch something that i don't like and then it's just like oh my god i hated this and this and this and this A week will pass and I'm like, I thought it was okay. You know, so (laughs) it's like, I'll change a lot. My views on almost any art loosen over time. I dislike things less after I've had time to sit with it Mm, because I can mm. kind of justify it a little bit more. And I just think that a lot of times with critics, people just don't get that at all. You know, it's like, oh, this one thing that you said in like 19, you know, like 99 or whatever should be what you believe even like 20 some odd years later or something. And it's just like, no, oh, my God, my beliefs have changed on that film
2: literally three days after I wrote that piece. Well, it's also like I have a professional responsibility to examine the parts that don't work. Right. It's rare that I write anything. That is just completely glowing, unless I'm only focusing on one aspect, right? Like if I'm really just talking about this one thing in this bigger work, I'm not going to get into all the other problems or what might be problems because I'm like, that's just not what I'm here for. Right. But generally, if I'm writing about a work as a whole, I'm usually going to say, you know, this part didn't work for me or or, this is really problematic or what have you. So I'll link maybe to somebody else who talked about it too. I'll be like this
1: is maybe something you should be aware of before you jump into this story because I'm a big fan of comic books which means if I'm recommending anything before like the year 2010 or something it's like this might be real dicey like (laughs) in a certain spot if you can get through it it's good you know but you know at this point we would turn down a story like this just because it has this offensive element to it right. But, you know, there's a lot of things that are foundational to comics or something. Even if you're just like, read this great comic, The Sandman or something. It's like, there's going to be stuff that's really rough for you
2: in The Sandman, you know? Oh, yeah. There's going to be a real graphic, intense, blank, blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't write it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But sometimes, like, I mean, nine times out of ten, I'll look at something and be like, here's what I liked. Because I think that... I don't know I sound really mean when I criticize things and I think that people take it very personally and I won't think about how mean it is and then I'll just be like oh my god
2: I was just eviscerating (laughs) this thing well it's because you're a finely sharpened tool your point is to be as acute and specific as possible and that is cutting it hurts when someone is very very clear about what's not working (laughs) oh yeah 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 a (laughs) hundred percent
1: Yeah, I try to like lighten on it a little bit just because some of the biggest things that I regret in my writing are times whenever I've been too critical and I'm just like, okay, you didn't need to bring this five other things into it. Yeah. But then sometimes the things that I regret are when I'm actually too nice about something Mm. because I'm like, I should have been a little bit more critical about this thing because this piece of art, for whatever reason, has hurt somebody over the years or like whatever I don't know. It's complicated. This has nothing to do with the question that you asked, but it kind of does. <laughs>
2: I'm like, yes, I think it does <laughs> in a way. I'm like, Sarah, I liked it, so we're keeping it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're keeping it. Like either way, like it has to stay because we only have so much time to record. So it's the tangent podcast. <laughs> it this is stay. what we do. It is the tangent podcast. Sometimes that's for sure. Well, all all podcasts, in all fairness, are the tangent podcast. Touche. But- I think that it's fair to not always know where you stand with Black Widow. I think that that very specifically is a character who people have really flattened how interesting she can be multiple times and that even when people do good stories with her, sometimes they're still flattening her into this like ex-ballerina regrets times before spy now because of trauma, excellent at playing both sides and all of this stuff. now. In my opinion, there are many, many interesting Black Widow stories. I just got finished writing a piece on all of these OGNs that were released in the 90s. And yeah, I mean, she comes across kind of flat generally. And I can understand why it doesn't always hit you because she's (laughs) not always written that well, I guess. I don't know. Even in kind of her better stories, there's times where I'm just like, so question mark?
2: Yeah, specifically about Black Widow. I tried to read the whole volume and I was very bored. So I don't think you're alone, Hayden. I think I made it through three issues. That specific run, this is the 2016 title. Yeah. I mean, it's like trying to be an action film, but like, you know, action films are more than explosions and murder. I mean, good mm-hmm. ones. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That was what was hard for me in this. And like, I was thinking about it because there's a lot of panels that have no words, and there's like pages of panels with no words. And I was like, is that my problem? And I'm like, no, I fucking love shit that has no words and, like, has barely any plot. Like, that's my jam when it comes to comics. I like weird comics. But I'm like, to me, it really is, like, well, what's Natasha feeling? You know, all we're seeing is her killing people and then her people talking about her. Right. She's not really active in her own story. She's She is in, like, a technical sense because she's actively killing people or wounding them.
1: But it always has like seven other things going on. And you never really know what she's going through emotionally. People really keep her at
2: an arm's length, I think, whenever they're telling stories about her. Which I think is a mistake because I think it's like, oh, she's a spy. Like they don't have feelings and they don't experience things. And part of what I was going to critique about the book is it felt like a bit like an MCU movie. Which like, I enjoy the MCU. I'm not fully hating it, but I don't think it has a ton of emotional depth. There are plenty of films that defy that, to be fair. yeah. However, when I think about The Winter Soldier, one of the things I really like about it is the way that Natasha, it's not that she's treated like she could be the bad guy, right? Because I never buy that. But it's the way she reacts when she realizes even the people she trusts see her as dubious, right? Like duplicitous. And that, I think, is what's interesting about her. And literally, that's the setup for this run. You know, she's been blacklisted by S.H.I.E.L.D. It's literally exactly like how when Cap is running out of S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, the Triskelion. I'm like, this should work. Like, this should work. But it doesn't come together. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk about is, if it was easy to write stories that were amazing, we wouldn't have any flops. (laughs) You know, like we wouldn't have craft classes. We wouldn't have people who write 40 books and then their 41st book, they're like, I think I finally got it. You know, like, and we might think those books are great, but that person is, you know, self evaluating because there is always something with stories. I always think best described as je ne sais quoi. There's something that makes stories come together. I have lots of different thoughts about what that can be. I think it often has to do with vulnerability. We read things because they make us feel something that might sound like hippy-dippy, ushy-gushy, but I'm an editor. I know what I'm saying here. It is important for there to be emotional tenor to a story. Otherwise, we stop reading it. And that's why I stopped reading Black Widow in this specific instance, this 2016 run. I had no sense of what was at stake. I had no sense of the emotions. Yes, she got turned out as a spy. Okay, but that's happened to her before. I don't know what the stakes are there. Like... You know, I'm watching a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent say, hey, I'm going to beat you up, Natasha. And no part of me believes him, right? Like, no part of me is like, what if he does? <laughs> it's like, he might get her this time. I'm like, this is Natasha Romanoff. I'm really not impressed. So what's the stakes? What's happening? Where are we going from here? What is she feeling? What's going to change for her? If this sticks, what does she lose, right? Like, where will she go? We don't have a real sense of that. So it's hard for us to emotionally buy into the story. If I were to diagnose what was not resonating, at least for me, that would be what I say. It's like, I just don't know. I don't know what she feels, don't know what she wants, don't know what she cares about. Because I think she's this almost ubiquitous character who is, like you said, Sarah, constantly flat. There isn't any built-in emotion for me for her either. I'm like, I don't I don't know what she cares about. So why do I care? Hint, I don't. And so I stopped <laughs> reading. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that it's
1: interesting because I think out of characters that Marvel has, Black Widow has a ton of memorable moments and not a ton of memorable stories. Ooh. So, like, there will be a ton of moments with her where I'm just like, holy shit. Like, whenever she shoots Daredevil in the chest one day because <sighs> she just is like, you're about ready to fuck everything up and I can't have you doing that. So she just shoots him. And he's like, um, you shot me. And she's just like, I didn't kill you. <laughs> and it's like this nice thing that she did was not murder him because like it was down to that for her like she was just like am I gonna have to kill this guy he's literally one of the only people I've ever cared about in my life and I think that that's so interesting and there's so many moments like that I also love her As a supporting character, I think that she's a really good character to have whenever, you know, you need somebody who has their eye on the prize no matter what. You'll have all of these emotional outbursts from everybody and she's just like, you fools. We need to make it to the goddamn finish line. And I think that that's very interesting for her. But I am going to say that this is definitely a character who a lot of times has come across flat as hell because it's just people ticking off their you know, like, oh, okay, so traumatic past in Russia, da-da-da-da. There's always some annoying stereotypes about Russia all over the oh place. Oh, my God,
2: right. It feels like she's stuck in a loop, right? Like, like just l- constant loop, same yeah. The fucking shit about her. And I think that's why so many people were really frustrated by her representation in was it the second Avengers film or the third where Joss Whedon did all the flashbacks to her in the Red Room? Oh my God, It was just yeah. like, come on. To me, like when I think about that, what's so frustrating is like, I don't want to be defined by my trauma. Certainly, it influences who I am. Certainly, there are ways it will show up when I'm triggered or when I'm having a hard day or whatever it is. And that's all valid. But I don't like spend every day reflecting on the worst things that have happened to me. And then that's my main motivator, you know, like I'm trying to live a different life.
1: I do like how they will do things with her. Her movie representation has been bad, but I do like the fact that they have her being this character who's taking care of everything while everybody else is off dealing with their own bullshit. And whenever there's emotional problems, she's just like, sandwich do you want to eat sandwich? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just like that about her, you know? Like, I like the part where she is emotionally kind of not correct. You know, she's a character who people, they don't know how to interact with her sometimes because she really is just like, here are the list of things that I know that make people better sandwich
2: (laughs) yes oh my god that's such a good description sandwich murder bad guy that's what i've got yeah
1: (laughs) i will do anything to protect anybody you know i think that that's something that's also very interesting she always will do literally goddamned anything just to make it you know yeah and i think that those things are all very interesting but yeah people trip on her all of the time now this question wasn't necessarily just about black widow but when we're talking about Black Widow. I do understand what you mean because I've read tons and tons of Black Widow and I love that character. There's a few great stories, but also there's tons of comics where I'm just like spy stuff, Russia stuff, spy stuff. Oh my God, she's the Black Widow. So she like turned on some dude, whatever. For a long time in comics, of course, it was men desiring her that defined her a lot too. So it's like not easy sailing for the most part. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Jay, host of the Unafraid podcast. On Unafraid, I share stories from the queer community that help us to grow, learn, and understand that while we are all different, there is an immeasurable beauty in that diversity. The Unafraid podcast is my labor of love, and I want to share that love with you. New stories are aired each week, so you can check out Unafraid on your podcast distributor right now. So yeah, that would be my thing with this specific character. But when you're talking about things that people just recommend you, and they're just like, "You're gonna love this," and you open it up, and you're just like, "I do not love this," and then you keep trying, and it just can't work for you. That happens to me all of the time, <laughs> where it's just like, "I this just can't work. It just doesn't work for me." And I think that there's repeat offender writers, I guess. So I just <laughs> kind of steer away from a lot. Like I know that I'm not gonna ever enjoy something that Dan lot, writes. <laughs> so I'm just like. I mean, he blocked me on Twitter, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, Brian K. Vaughn is my fucking dance lot. Totally. Man. I hate yeah, Wild yeah. West, man. I hate Saga. Like, I don't yeah. even know why. I, uh, it's not that I don't know why. I know exactly why. And I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lion Cat, I'll always go to bat for Oh, him, yeah, because but- Lion Cat's amazing. I think that's what's so frustrating about Saga. Is There's moments, right? It's so close to great. And the things that go wrong in it, are all about, I think, the privilege of the person writing it. Like, you can't Google how someone refers to their gender if they're transgender. You, you can't Google that. You have to do transgendered. We don't fucking say that. You, you know that. Like, we, we right. know that. <laughs> like, come on. So I think that's a piece of it. Sometimes I think people also, I've been thinking a lot about the phrase stay in your lane. And it's interesting, right? Because you're listening to this later, but we just talked about Odyssey, which I would say, like, is an interesting sort of like, not exactly in someone's lane, right? Matt Fraction is not a lesbian. However, like, it works. So, I, you know, I'm not always, I don't think you have to be every identity you write.
1: No, absolutely not. Right. And it's, it causes a lot of problems whenever you expect people to only write what they are because you were talking about people who are writing team books books with many many characters so if I was just gonna write what I am a bunch then it would be just a bunch of like white lesbians in every story which I'm not gonna say doesn't appear in my stories but (laughs) I will say that like it is a mistake to make that be the only thing. But I think the point that you're going to compound on is that it is a mistake to do that without any reference or
2: reverence, right? Like, or like a sensitivity reader. Hey, some A sensitivity reader, maybe two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. No, I mean, and I think you're right. I think it's like, I'm a firm believer. Just based on a lot of what I've read by a lot of Black authors, by a lot of Latinx authors, about like, no one's saying you can't write people of color. And, you know, that's obviously what I think of because I am a white person. However, you can't write a point of view character who's a person of color. If they exist in this world, in this society, as a white person, you can never understand what that experience is like. I think that that's very valid. And so I don't write point of view characters who are people of color. Black, indigenous, Latinx, Asian American. It doesn't matter. I just just don't write them because that's just none of my goddamn business. I do, however, write worlds infused with tons of diversity because I live in a world filled with tons of diversity. My friends are diverse. So I'm trying to create a world that reflects my experience, an idealized version of my experience usually, or like a catastrophized version when I'm feeling really dark and writing my like post-apocalyptic shit. But I think that that's important to think about is like, what stories do we have a right to claim? And we are, you know, it is the tangent podcast, as are they all. But I do think that that is part of what sometimes goes wrong, is just because Natasha is a spy doesn't mean she doesn't have an internal world. She does. Just because she doesn't express her emotions doesn't mean she doesn't have emotions. Just because she's a badass doesn't mean she doesn't have weaknesses that aren't being a a silly woman, you know? (laughs) Like, you can explore these parts but they have to be done authentically. And I hate the word authentic sometimes, but you said it really well, Sarah. What was it you said? Reverence.
1: Having a sense of reverence to the stories that you're telling, even if they're not ones that you are, I guess. Because, mm. like, very few of us are Russian spies. Very few. So, like, writing <laughs> writing a story about... A Russian spy, but that's kind of the thing, right? You see the stereotypes of that character affect her life, her creative life, or like her life as a character because people still keep her at an arm's length. So you do see people be like, "Oh, nobody trusts me." Like people still see me as dubious, no matter what I do or how there for them I am. And then it's like you see the writers do that to her too. Mm. (laughs) So they're just like, "You stay." emotionally away from me and like you know oh she's so mysterious and it's just like yeah but it's not the same because like you know Nick Fury is a good counterpart to her I'd say that's kind of a different take on the same theme right he's a spy also and all of this stuff but people kind of delve into that character a lot more and he's had way more issues of comics about him and people seem like they're less distant from him. You know, people will write entire stories going into his life and stuff. And it's not all about just the one sad past thing, but also like Punisher. Like those are all dudes that are kind of like Black Widow, mm-hmm. but they get so much more airtime and like <laughs> have had people go way, way more into their stories.
2: That's such a great comparison. Yeah. At the end of the day, like that's the beef that I have with a lot of these, these depictions is like, People are not archetypes, even though comic characters are to some degree, because we're again dealing with like a mythos, but like people are people and stories understand that. And even when people do things that are like completely unconscionable or out of character, which people do things that are out of character in real life, but when they do those things, it should mean something, right? Like, there should be meaning to the way that natasha is engaging with her world and you know we're using natasha as like sort of the stand-in for any character really there should be meaning behind it and if there's not that should mean something at least right <laughs> like why write a story if there's not going to be something to it something meaty like i actually found a lot of those panels really beautiful i like the way in the 2016 run that natasha is drawn like she looks cool i like the art style i just wish there was more story to it and that's just always going to be where I land, I guess. <laughs> like, I would like to understand what's happening. <laughs> and why?
1: Like, why is this story different than every other Black Widow story that's just like the same bullshit of action hero, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, but I mean, come on. You can do all kinds of extra stuff on top of that. And I think that she's super interesting. Like I've said a bunch of times through this, I love Black Widow. I think she's a great character. And I do understand why she's a difficult character for people to understand. Because she is somebody who is emotionally a little removed from people. And also, yeah, it's hard to know what the hell she's going to do. But there's something fun about that, too. And so I like those moments where she's humanized and she doesn't know how to make something better. So she offers like a creature comfort or something like that mm. right these are the things that I like about her a lot you just don't see that much of it in her stories I almost have to like, go an extra mile to read those parts into the stories because the people who write her a lot of times just don't mm-hmm. <laughs> read that into her
2: yeah and and I think what I also hear in what you're saying as much as it is like a bit of disappointment and and maybe even a little frustration is also like there's so much opportunity like there's so oh, yeah. much opportunity with Natasha. There's so many interesting things you can do with her. And, you know, that's, like, the hopeful thing I'll end on is we can have great Black Widow stories, and I hope we will in the future, too, you know? Like, I hope mm-hmm. that someone who really wants to explore her, her really gets her, or who sees all of the potential that we see in, like, the possible stories in her, gets their hands on her story and, and me, gets to write me, her. Me, 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 me. I was going to say, hello, Marvel, Please call Sarah because clearly she's (laughs) got a great story and I would like to read it. So, yes. Thank you so much for a great question, Hayden. Yeah. Hey, listeners, if you don't already, you can join us over on Patreon. We do all kinds of bonus content, bonus episodes where we review our favorite TV and films sometimes just like random things and we're like hey want to review this weird thing that's on dc universe i think i do and it is a delight we also have reading lists that are drawn from our episodes every month that tell you where you can learn more about the shows and the comics that we name drop quickly as we go through a very intense list of things <laughs> because it's who we are and we want you to join us you can join us at any level as little as two dollars a month as much as hey you name it And we will give you this content, share it with you, and you can be even more of a support to a podcast we know you love as you listen to us right now.
0: Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
1: So the comic of the week this week is going to be Cat-Eyed Boy by Kazuo Umizu. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's so good. It's so good. This comic is ridiculous. I have no idea. I have no context for this comic. I don't know when it came out.
2: No idea. Um, (laughs) It has
1: kind of that classic, like almost Astro Boy kind of era manga look. (laughs) Um, But yeah, regardless, I mean, it doesn't even matter. This is one of the best horror comics I've ever read in my life flat out period, this artist did a bunch of horror comics. And yeah, I mean, we'll talk about those coming up (laughs) because they're really good. And they've made movies out of a couple of them. They haven't made a movie out of the Cat-Eyed Boy. But the story of this is the Cat-Eyed Boy is a horror host, basically, you know, like the Crypt Keeper or something, right? Cat-Eyed Boy is this (laughs) character who just looks so creepy obviously half cat half boy and he goes into like attics and like hangs <laughs> out <down> people's <laughs> walls and <laughs> giggles oh my god he's so creepy and like yeah he basically just kind of follows the stories you know so he pops up in the background of some of the stories that are happening sometimes he takes an active role there's this page where he's just like i really liked sleeping in that attic too bad the building burned down <laughs> And then he's, and then he like looks at the reader and goes so long. (laughs) I'm just like, whoa, it's so good. It's so so
2: good. And of course, you know,
1: the theme is that there's a few different horror stories in this.
2: Yeah. I mean, and they're all so interesting. I love that it does that thing that I think horror does better than any other genre, right? Which is like, you know, something, oh no, you don't at all. (laughs) <laughs> nothing is what you thought it was. Oh my god, yeah. And like lovers of decades turn out to be like goblin demons. Yes. And it's so fun and then like they have a kid with the person that they like have been living with and the, the person's like I have to save my child picks up the baby the baby's a demon like it's just like so good i love it yes there's like the one where he has
1: like a different dad his dad stole the house and the child of like the guy who lived in it before and then the corpse just keeps like regenerating it's yes. like resurrecting and coming so back cool. again and again oh my god <laughs> like these are comics that are just such a damn delight to read especially as you know such a longtime horror fan I thought that it just comes together so so well so if, if you're trying to get into like any kind of horror manga like this is kind of I mean there's plenty of great options but this is a really goddamn good book and it's over 500 pages it's so long and good
2: <laughs> Right now, at least at the time of recording, it's on sale on Comixology. So it's like oh. 564 pages for like $11. Wow. It's really incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's gorgeous. I mean, like every single page, so seamless, and these weird body horror stories that, like, you know, just the classic style of body horror basically is a lot of what you see in this. And I love that stuff. And they're so funny. It's really, oh, yeah. really funny. Yeah, there's jokes, definitely. It's like almost exactly like the EC style of mm. horror comics or something where there's all of these jokes kind of put in through the, the whole series. But it's also terrifying. It's also really scary. The jokes kind of help you a little bit to reconcile how upsetting everything you're saying is.
2: Like all the best horror comedy. Totally, totally. I also love that there's like... No moral, ever. I, I there is love no stories with no morals. I That I is do. what's
1: different about it, right? Like, in a lot of tells from the crypt and stuff like that, it's always, here's this bad person doing a bad thing, and they're going to get punished. And then this, it's like, everybody gets punished. <laughs> yeah, It
2: doesn't matter who the fuck you are. Like, <laughs> good, you could be bad, a very good person. Sorry, buddy, you married a demon. This yeah, one's neutral, on you. It
1: <laughs> doesn't matter. You're getting punished <laughs> extensively in a horrifying way. And uh, that's going to be how it is. And it um, still reveals
2: yeah. truths about humanity, right? Like, there's a lot of mob mentality. Mentality that comes up but not just about humans like demons slash goblins also have mob mentality Mm -hmm. i love that cat eye boy is rejected from both worlds he's actually considered too human by the goblins and demons and he's (laughs) he's like considered a nightmare by the humans i think he's adorable personally (laughs) i'm like he is so cute i love him he could be my baby i would love to raise a cat eye boy baby yeah, it's too bad that your house burned down. Yeah, year I know. Later. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I raised this baby who burned my house down. <laughs> no regrets. Oh, God. He's, he's charming and creepy at the same time, yes. which I just think is, it is hard to walk that line where you can create a very creepy character that I can't get enough of. Oh, yeah. That is really good writing, you know? This is definitely one of those
1: comics where I'm like, why hasn't anybody done like a film series on this or something? Mm. Because that would be something that people would probably go nuts for. I personally am happy for it to stay a comic because I think that is incredible. I believe that The Drifting Classroom has a film version. Yeah, I think so. So some of his works have been adapted. I don't think this one has. We'll check that after (laughs) recording to make sure I'm correct. But yeah, this comic was just ridiculous. I was amped and ready to like it. I was already sold on this comic. And I feel like it outdid itself pretty much at every turn. All of the classic horror tropes are at play. New ones. The kind of amorality, you know, that you see in a lot of the best horror films. And, you know, Japanese horror, obviously. Huge, huge legacy of great horror works. And I would say that this stands among the best of them. Like, this is just as good as, like, qui or... Any of the other ones that I really love, Audition, (laughs) you know, like any of the Japanese horror that's happened over the last century, I think would stand on par with this.
2: Absolutely. The illustrations are beautiful. I love reading manga. I don't read a lot of it. I know you don't either, compared to some people, I read some manga. I love some manga a lot. We were Mm -hmm. just talking about Lone Wolf and Cub, and I enjoyed it so much. I love the illustrations. I love the way the shading is used. I love the way that Japanese culture is so influential. Obviously, that's where it is made. And that makes sense. But it's nice to see. I like that. Sometimes comics can feel like they're trying to strip away culture. So anytime that I can see culture, I'm like, yes, I love it. Mm -hmm. And I love that it gets into like different mythos. And I don't know. It's just like what not to love? What not to love? But also I found that it was adapted into an anime in 1976. Oh, wow. And it was like 22 episodes. And then. Yeah. So we're going to have to find that. (laughs) I know what we'll do for a bonus review. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's apparently a live action film in 2006 but in, what? in Japan. So we're going to have to find those. <laughs> yeah. And I
1: feel kind of like, I mean, wow, we have no right to even talk about this comic if we don't know about all of that. But, <laughs> but I will say that even just walking in just the comic by itself, this is honestly one of the greatest works of horror I've ever read.
2: I completely agree. I think my favorite format for horror is actually comics, which Horror can be very hard to write in comic format because so much of what we consider horror from TV and film is contributed by sound, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to be able to capture that and put it in comic form, I get less freaked out, but that doesn't mean I don't get scared. It just means I don't feel it on like a physical level where I'm like, I'm going to have a heart attack. So for me, it's like a little bit easier to engage that way, but it's also creepy as fuck. I mean, Cat Eye Boy is not precious it's just precious to me (laughs) like yeah i find cat eye boy precious but cat eye boy is very very creepy and and upsetting (laughs) yeah you do not want to run into cat eye boy
1: you are not in for a good time in life if you do you know no that's the thing every person that crosses his path incurs damage of some kind so it's like oh
2: boy you're a wild child but I think there's also some, you know, I'm, and I haven't thought about this a lot, so you'll have to tell me if you disagree, Sarah, but it, it seems like there's also some commentary going on about children and also about women and about how agency is taken from women and children. But then it's reasserted through these sort of demon goblins. Who, oh, totally. Who poses human, women, and children and are like, look how fine I am. I could never do anything. <laughs> Joke's <laughs> on you. I'm going to eat your face, you know, and it's like so cool. <laughs>
1: yeah it is really cool yeah i love the monsters all of these stories are just wild truly wild and cat eyed boy wow all of it i think is just it puts it on a must read list if you would love any part of what we just discussed (laughs) then you will love cat eyed boy
2: We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B. Dot t-c-h-e-s-o-n-c-o-m-i-c-s at gmail.com and yeah remember there's no i'm bitch if you'd like to support the podcast you can
1: do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts i'm sarah century and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and twitter and instagram still sarah century on those
2: I'm Se Fleenor. you can learn more about me at com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore fleenor. Bitches on
1: Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at
2: earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the Indigenous Peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.